What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And this is the fulfillment of verse 18, of verse 18, they part my garments among them. And then the soldiers came to his coat. They all agreed, so this is too nice to rip up. No, 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 the soldiers, they think about ripping it up and they say, no, 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 the, so, the, the coat's gonna lose all its value if we rip it up to recover the fabric. It, it shouldn't be ripped up, we'll gamble for it. And, and he sees all the soldiers, each one wants the coat. And he sees them smiling as they're thinking, well, I'll win the, I'll win the gamble and it'll be mine and, and how nice it's gonna be. I'm gonna have this nice coat. I'm gonna wear it. I'm gonna give it to my son. He's gonna be happy. And so he watches with intensity. These soldiers, they hope to get his coat. And then comes the winner of the coat and he watches the look of disappointment on all the other soldiers' faces who didn't get the coat. And he watches the soldier who won and he smiles and takes his coat. And maybe that soldier, I don't know, looks at the Lord on the cross with his prize and says, what? You don't need these anymore. What's gonna happen to you? You don't, need, you don't need any clothes anymore. And so the Lord watches as his last possession on earth, his possessions on earth, they're either torn up or it's gambled away. And we can imagine his, his initial thoughts is like, wait, what are they doing? Those are my clothes. Those are my only possessions I had here on earth. And as we think of the Lord with those thoughts, we can't help but imagine what would we have thought if we were there? If we were on the cross, I know perish the thought, but if we just if, if we were on the cross and we saw our clothes, our last possessions on earth, either being torn up and gambled away, maybe kind of like those people, just a little bit, I mean, uh, as Christian was asking us to pray for those with the fire up there, the campfire up there in, in the north and the, and the other fire by Malibu, maybe kind of like them a little bit when they return to find that everything is gone, destroyed, one thing maybe those people think, and, and the Lord perhaps would have thought was that, well, that pretty much cuts the line that tethered me to earth. That's it now. And sometimes the Lord allows a loss to turn our eyes away from earth and to heaven as our new home. Because one thing God said was that remember Lot's wife. Don't forget her. 
He said, remember my body, which is broken for you. Remember my blood in the communion, but remember Lot's wife. Wasn't very, very often that he said, remember, but that was one of the things he said, remember. Remember Lot's wife. And when we do remember Lot's wife, it brings us back to Genesis 19, Genesis 19, 15, because in Genesis 19, 15, it says, when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, Lot with Lot and his wife, his, his daughters, living in the city of Sodom, about to be destroyed. And the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife, thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Can you imagine that scene? Can you just imagine that scene where the angels have told Lot, they've told Lot wife, Lot's wife, it's time. It's time. It's time to leave now. It's time to leave Sodom. It's going to be destroyed. And it's now time to look forward and don't look back. And the scene for Lot and his wife, we can imagine Lot and his wife saying, what? What are you saying? This is our life. You just came here tonight to lodge, and now all of a sudden you're saying, let's leave. This is our life. This is our home. These are our possessions. We've built our life here. We've made this our home just the way we wanted. It took a lifetime for us to decorate this house just the way we wanted, arrange it just the way we wanted. The home is filled with all the things that we have spent our life obtaining. Now you're telling us that all of a sudden that we have to turn our back just tonight, just like that? And the Bible explains that the response of Lot in Genesis 19.16, Genesis 19.16, was just two words. He lingered. He lingered. That just has a world of meaning in that word. He lingered. He lingered means he was not, okay, ready, let's go, vamanos. Uh, he lingered means that he questioned. Wait, 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 wait. It means that he hesitated. He thought, is this a wise thing to do, turn our back on all this? It means that he was reluctant. It means that he delayed. It means that he just said, well, can we just stay just a little bit longer? And Lot's questioning all that he was doing with his hesitating and his reluctance and his delaying was dangerous, was going to be about to be fatal for Lot to the point where the Lord did something that's very unusual and very merciful to Lot. And it's described as in, in Genesis 19, 16, verse 16, while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him forth. So the angels just took Lot's hand, and they took the hand of Lot's wife, and they took the hand of the two daughters, and they dragged him out of there. They pulled him out and said, we're going. And the Lord just pushed him out of that house, which is very unusual, because the Lord does not overrule, typically, a person's will and push them, but the Lord did here. And then they came to a point, and they came to a point in time when they were out of the city, out of the city, they're away from the house, and it says in verse 19, Genesis 19, 17, 19, 17, it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, lest thou be consumed. It was just too much. It was just too much for Lot's wife. I mean, she'd been dragged out of Sodom and Sodom there, but the lure, the pull, the call, of her house and her friends and her possessions. It was just too strong for her to resist. And she caved. 
And she turned back, and when she did, Lot's wife became an eternal monument for, for why we should not love not the world. She became a monument of salt that stood through the ages and why it's so important to, to listen to the warning, to heed the warning in 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And it was of the Lord's mercy that he took her hand and dragged her out of her city, but there was a limit to God's mercy. And once she was out of the city, then it was time for her, now you have to make your own decision, Mrs. Lot. You have to make your own decision now. The training wheels are coming off of your bike and you've got to ride it alone. And that was the time, and she failed. And she failed. But here the Lord is on the cross in Psalm 22, verse 16. And on the cross, he's seeing his, his clothes are ripped up. They're being gambled away. That was the loss of all his possessions on earth. And some lose their possessions on earth, like we talked about in the fire. And the question is, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when you lose it all? And the answer comes from a message that was sent to a, a group of Jewish believers in Hebrews 10.34, in Hebrews 10.34, where it says, you had compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. The answer is an inward knowledge, knowing in yourself that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. You know, last week I was with a friend of mine in, uh, in Loretto, and he showed me a property that he bought right on the boardwalk there, they call it the Malacone or something like that. Anyway, across facing the sea. And he told me the story. He said, you know, he bought this property from his friend and his friend came to him. You know, it was a property there, a business property. And he says, he didn't have any money. And, and he asked uh, he asked him, to say, hey, can you just give me, uh, it was $500,000. Can you just give me half the money for my family? I don't have any money. So my friend gave him $250,000. And then before the escrow closed, he was supposed to get the second payment of the $250,000 before the escrow closed. He came back and he said, you know, my mother just got cancer. And I don't have, we don't have the money to pay for the treatments for her, so could, could you just give me the other half? And so, you know, my friend, he, he said, yeah, sure. And he, he gave him the, the final $250,000. So it came time to sign over the property, the escrow closing. And his friend said, told him, he says, you still owe me the last $250,000. And my friend says, what? I paid you that. He says, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You still owe me the $250,000. So the property is in court and so forth. Now, what do you do when you're cheated like that? What do you do? What you do is you look at verse 18. Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And you remember how the Lord was cheated out of his clothes. It reminds me, I think I've told you this, it reminds me of the time when I was in London one day and I was walking around the city of London. It was very cold. It's always very cold in London. I don't know. It's just one, it's just London. London has sunshine, beautiful sunshine three days a year. I mean, it's a very, very 
different place. I was walking there and I was so cold. I was walking over a Piccadilly Circus and there was this clothing store and I looked in the window and there's this beautiful white and red windbreaker and, and I went in and it was just what I needed. It was warm so I bought it and it kept me warm. And when it came time to come back to San Diego, I thought, well, I don't need this in San Diego because it's really cold here, not there. And so I put in a duffel bag that I kept at the hotel and they kept it for me every time. And, I, and every time that I came to the hotel, I got my duffel bag out and I was happy to be able to once again wear my favorite windbreaker. And I look forward to going to London actually so I could wear my favorite windbreaker. And I remember one night I got to the hotel, it was about 10 o'clock at night, it was late, and I got my duffel bag. I got up to the room, oh, now I'm gonna wear my favorite windbreaker. And I started, what's this? The lock is broken. And I go through it, everything is there except for my favorite windbreaker. And someone stole my favorite windbreaker. And I remember sitting in my hotel room feeling so shocked, so angry. Someone took my favorite windbreaker. And I thought, where is my favorite windbreaker now? Is he wearing it? Is it in the closet? It wants to come back to me. And I became very angry at that person for stealing my windbreaker. And it became kind of an obsession for me. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep over this. So I thought, well, uh, I got to open my Bible, start reading. That'll put me to sleep. And so I opened my Bible and I start reading and reading and reading. And what verse do you think I came to? This verse, verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And all of a sudden, it was like, you're crying about your favorite windbreaker? His favorite windbreaker was gambled. It was his only windbreaker. And from this verse, suddenly, the sting of the loss from the bee attack was gone. Suddenly, the snake venom of anger that was removed, it was gone. And it all happened as I thought about how the Lord watched thieves steal his favorite, his only coat. Now, after watching the thieves take his clothes, he turns now to God and he makes a prayer. He prays. He says in verse 19, but be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. So first he prays that God would not be far from him. He prays that God would not be far from him. That was the greatest, that was the hurt that he experienced in, his, in the first verse of this psalm, in Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? Far from help. That's how he starts out. And now he prays, be not thou far from me, O Lord, my, my strength. Haste thee to help me. God was far from helping him in the beginning of the psalm. Now he says, don't be far anymore. Don't be far from helping me. What's changed? Ah, oh, what's changed is now his work, the work of atonement for sins, it's coming to a completion. It's coming to an end. And so in anticipation that the end is near, he's praying to God, don't be far from me anymore, any longer. No longer far from me. You know, he, he looked forward. I mean, it, he knew that it was coming the crucifixion, the suffering, the passion, everything. He knew, but he also looked forward to the end of it. And he spoke about that in, in Luke twenty two thirty seven. 37. Luke twenty two thirty seven, when he said, I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me, for he was reckoned among the transgressors. For the things concerning me have an end. When he talked about he was reckoned among the transgressors, he's talking about Isaiah 53. 
He was numbered with the transgressors and all the passion. But then he says something which is not in Isaiah 53, which is what he looked forward to, which says, the things concerning me, they have an end. Means that there's gonna come a time of final fulfillment. He's so aware of, of this, this chapter that he's referenced, he was numbered among the transgressors, he's so aware of chapter 53 of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. He was going through everything that was happening to him. He was tracking it by the verse numbers in Isaiah 53 as he's moving through his sufferings. I mean, he, he knew precisely when the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He knew when he was at verse six. He knew exactly when he was in the travail of his soul and God was gonna be pleased with the sacrifice. He knew when he got to a, verse 11 in, his, in the chronology of his suffering. He knew in Isaiah 53, 11, when he got to, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And he looks forward so much to that last verse in Isaiah 53. He looked forward to reaching verse 12 when it would all be finished and he would have borne the sin of many and he looked forward to it. He finally, when it says in verse 12, Isaiah 53, 12, therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath, past tense, poured out his soul unto death. He was, past tense, numbered with the transgressors. He bare, past tense, the sin of many and he made intercession for the transgressors. And so now, now he knows it's all coming to a close. Now he knows it's all going to be soon finished. Now he knows his separation from God's going to be over. He knows he's looking forward to that. And he prays now, God, don't be far from me. Hurry up. Hasty to help me. It seemed like an eternity for him. He was there and he was fighting. He was fighting valiantly. He was fighting bravely. And he was holding up with this, this perseverance under this crush of the sufferings. He was resisting the advice of Job's wife, who said to Job in his suffering in Job 2.9, Job 2.9, then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But the Lord on the cross, he kept his integrity. He has not spoken one word against God through it all. And it hasn't been easy for him at all. It's taken all the strength that he has to the point where the meter on his strength ta tank was reading zero, empty. In verse 15, Psalm 22, 15, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. That's the meter on his strength tank pegging out at empty. He doesn't have any more strength. He said that his own personal strength is dried up like a broken piece of fire kiln pottery on the ground. He has no strength. He says, I have no more strength to fight. What do you do in that situation? What do you do when you feel like, I don't have it in me to do this? I can't resist anymore. I don't have any more fight for God. I can't do it. I have no strength. What do you do? That's where he was. You do what he did in verse 19. In verse 19, when you're pegged out on zero in strength, you turn to God and you say, oh, Lord, oh, my strength. What do you do when you've been fighting so long and your strength is gone and you have no more? You do what the Lord Jesus did and you turn to God and you say, now refuel me in air with your strength. It's so amazing to see the creator, the almighty God, drained of all strength, but he turns to God, he turns to God, he calls God his strength. 
Then he prays, he says, haste thee to help me, hurry up, hurry up to help me. You know, this is so hard for us, for people for, to, to pray for help, to ask God for help, but it's the first step. God, God says, uh, there's no help unless you ask for help. I mean, whenever in tr we're in trouble, our natural tendency is not to turn to God and say, help me, but our, our natural tendency is to kick into gear and say, okay, I can do it, and to say, first things first, okay, now, and we kick into our got-to mode. I got to. And we get all the immediate got-tos and the long-range got-tos, and our whole lives get consumed with all these got-tos, immediate got-tos. I got to get the kids' meals today, you know. The second, gotta, gotta, I got to get to work. I got to get the car fixed. And then there's the long-range got-tos, you know. Like I was uh, with an Uber driver on Friday, and, and I asked him, I said, what's the most important thing to you in your life? I got to provide for my family. I got to get my three daughters raised. I got to get my three daughters married so that I can spend time with my, three, with my grandchildren. <laughs> and before you know it, life's over. Life's over, and it's just been one huge marathon of try to get done all the got-tos. And all the while, the devil is laughing and saying, good, I got him caught in the net of the got-tos of life, and, and now his whole life is gone, and he doesn't have any more time for God. And we're so prone to do that when trouble comes. But you know what was on the top of the Lord's got-to? Verse 19. Verse 19, I got to ask God to not be far from me. I got to ask God to be my, be my strength. I got to ask God to hurry up and help me. And it all, came down, it all comes down for us, for him, for anyone to a choice. It's a choice that's made. And the sterling example of this in Scripture is Martha and Mary in Luke 10.39. Luke 10.39, this history in particular where it speaks about Martha in Luke 10, 39, and it says that she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing, is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So what we see here is Martha's life was consumed with the, with the got-to list. And Martha, she looked at it and she, she said, oh, the people are coming over, it's like Thanksgiving. She said, uh, I gotta get the, I got to get the food prepared. I got to get the house all ready. I got to do this and do that. And, and she was, it was the many things that the Lord said had just overwhelmed her. It was all on her got-to list. One of the things on her got-to list, I got to get that lazy sister of mine to help me. That's what I got to do. I got to get the Lord to make her help me. And by contrast, Mary, she only had one thing on her got-to list. Life was pretty simple for Mary. I got to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. And so the Lord, when he went to describe the difference between Martha and Mary, he used this one word, and he says in Luke 10, 42, one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. She chose it. She chose it. She made the right choice. And God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. These other things, jump change. They'll be taken care of. And so what is it that should be on our got-to list? Our got-to list 
should have, I got to draw near to God. I got to ask God to be my strength. I got to ask him for speedy help, for a fast help. And that's what we see the Lord doing here. Continue this next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, the, the beauty of your son that you've allowed us to see, especially in his suffering. And we understand so clearly why you said that that was your son in whom you were well pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.